Our God is great. He is not good. He is great. And his mercy endures forever. We've got a lot going on behind the scenes here in the church this morning. And I want to ask you as, as church members and the people of God to pray for me this morning as I preach this message. It is family worship and uh, it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And God has a word for us from his word. And one of the reasons why you preach the Bible all the way through like we're doing with Mark is you come to passages that deal with certain topics and deal with certain things and they come to light. And so this morning we're going to be talking about the king taking back his kingdom. And Mark is showing us the king who is promised from the Old Testament. He is the king from Isaiah. And Isaiah, if you've read Isaiah, you probably should read Isaiah. If we're going to study Mark, you should read Isaiah all the way through. But it talks about the king who is coming. He talks about how he will come and the power of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the age of forgiveness, the servant, the suffering servant who will die for sinners. He talks about the renewal of God's people. The renewal of the people of God. The spirit-filled people of God. And it talks about the new creation. The coming of the new Jerusalem. That the messianic king will usher in. Isaiah says he is the arm of the Lord. The Lord himself will come in power. And the Lord is coming. The mark has shown us that the king is announced through John the Baptist. The king is crowned in his baptism as the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Then the king goes straight to war against the enemy, Satan, as he comes to defeat darkness and sin and death and he overcomes the temptation in the wilderness. Then he announces the message that he came to share, which is the good news gospel message that the king has come to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set the prisoners free. Then the king calls people to follow him. And a few weeks ago, we saw that he calls the disciples to come and he will make them fishers of men. And this morning, we talk about the king who comes to take back his kingdom through the proclamation of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God. And I want to read for you before we get to our text this morning in Mark, Romans ten thirteen. This is important as we will study this all morning long and this theme of God's salvific message in which he preaches through the very scriptures and which are inspired by God himself. It says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
In verse 14 it says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is power in the word of God. Amen. Oh, Lord, help us to have faith in the power of the word of Christ. Let your church see people come to life and transformed by the power of the word of God this morning. Let chains fall down. Let people step out of darkness and let them walk in the light as you are in the light. Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask, Father, that you would do a work through your word, through the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You see, the king has come to take back his kingdom through the teaching of his word. That's what I want you to get from today's sermon this morning as we read this text. I want you to understand that the king takes back the kingdom through the teaching of the word of God. So if we, the servants of God, are to take back the kingdom from the domain of darkness, guess what we are? We're teachers, we're preachers of this gospel, preachers of the word of God. So here it is in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and following. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read this together. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the the surrounding regions of Galilee. You can be seated. Mark, remember, he's our Twitter version of the gospel. This is actually found, this text is actually found in Luke chapter 4 in its extended version. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But if you've ever seen the animated movie Robin Hood back in 19, I believe 73, maybe 78. I'm not sure. I've forgotten when it was, was, it was before my time, right? But there was a character in the movie. His name was Prince John. Prince John was a selfish vein, only counting his money. All he cared about was himself. And in the movie, he taxes the people so much that they have nothing left. They're poor, oppressed, and without hope. And Robin Hood is looking out for the people, taking which 
Prince John has taken from the people and he's giving it back to the poor. You know the, the story robbing Prince John and giving it to the poor. But in the movie, there's a little known character. His name is King Richard. King Richard the Lionheart, who is gone on crusade. And while he's gone, his brother, Prince John, is put in charge. And the kingdom goes into chaos. And at the end of the movie, Robin Hood, King Richard returns, gloriously returns, placing wicked Prince John and his sidekick, the snake, Hiss, into the dungeon and making all things right in the world, right? I mean, it's interesting. Where does Disney get all their ideas from, right? I mean, Hiss, the snake, really, and Prince John, and the king returns and then puts them into a dungeon. I'm telling you, I don't know where Disney gets all of their ideas, but you see, Adam and Eve, who were given the earth to rule and reign in the image of God, fell. And guess who took over? Satan took over what Adam and Eve were told to do, which was rule and reign on the earth, to fill the earth with the image of God, with his glory. But Satan wanted to fill the earth with those who did not reflect the glory of God. And he holds people in bondage, in a world filled with sin and death. The Bible calls him the prince, the power of the air. And yet, in our story this morning, Mark is chronicled as the king returns. And not only does he show his power over Satan, not succumbing to the temptation in the wilderness, but he comes to set the prisoner free. He comes to set the people free by delivering them from Satan himself and the enemies of Satan. You see, salvation is described a lot of ways in the Bible. And one of the ways salvation is described in the Bible is deliverance. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? You were in the kingdom of darkness. You were in the domain of darkness. He has delivered you from Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of God. Amen? You see, that is what Jesus came to preach, this good news, that the kingdom of God is here. Satan's kingdom has no authority over the kingdom of God. And now the enemy is trembling. And we'll see that in our, in our story this morning. The enemy is trembling because the Son of God is come back to take his kingdom. You see, John describes the reason why Jesus, the Son of God, appeared. John, in the book of 1 John, writes. And and you would think that 
the reason, if you ask the question, what's the reason why Jesus, the Son of God, appeared, you would think to yourself, well, John's going to say he came to save sinners. He appeared to save sinners. And you would be right, because the text of Scripture tells us that. But in 1 John 3, 8, he gives us another reason, and he tells us in a different way of the salvation in which God has brought through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared... And then here it is, was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared, according to John, was to destroy the works of the devil. Interesting way to put it. The condemnation of sin, the guilt of shame, the brokenness. That results of sin and death and the kingdom, God has come to take back his kingdom to destroy the work of the devil and the enemies of God. And he starts, how does he start? Through teaching and preaching of the word of God. The authoritative teaching of the gospel makes the demons tremble before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's look at it here together. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This is our first point this morning. The king establishes authority through his word. The king establishes his authority through the teaching of his word. Now it's very important we understand that the teaching and the proclamation of the word of God has authority because God himself, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ are behind the teaching of the word, the scripture itself. Luke gives us way more insight into this text of scripture. We only have a couple sentences here in Mark. So we have to go to Luke 4. And Luke 4 tells us that before Jesus goes to Capernaum, which is a village of Nahum, remember the prophet Nahum, The village of Nahum, he goes to Nazareth, which is Christ's hometown, and he gives us insight into the teaching in which he gives in the synagogue. Remember, Luke likes a little bit more details. He's a doctor. He's given us a historian perspective. And so he's giving us the details here, and he, he tells us that Jesus goes into the synagogue where they would gather to hear the word, and they would hear the word taught. And Jesus opens to Isaiah chapter 61, and he begins to read this word. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind. He, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. 
And he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'd say his teaching is with authority, would you not? He opens up Isaiah 61. He hears this passage that says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to whom the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, this has been fulfilled in your midst. The Messiah, the king has come. And what has he come to do? Proclaim what? The good news that the kingdom of God will overcome the kingdom of darkness. He's teaching that the word of God is about him. The gospel is here and that he is the fulfillment of God's purpose, his plan from the beginning. That a a man born of woman would crush the head of the serpent, God's promise, in the garden. And he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. You see, there is power in the word of God. We teach the Bible at Northwest expositionally. Meaning, our sermons are not some concocted blend of philosophy, current culture, and some scripture sprinkled in. No, the word drives the sermon. Text-driven preaching. We take the passage, and the passage drives the points and also our preaching. We expose the text. Get it? Exposition. We expose the text. Because why? We believe that the word of God is the inspired divine truth. And thus we preach the text. Why? Because we believe that spirit-empowered preaching transforms lives. Not what I can say. It's the spirit of the living God through his word. It's not a good pep talk. It's not an inspirational message that transforms people. It is the spirit-empowered word of God. And when Jesus is sharing the gospel or the good news, how is he teaching? He teaches from the text of Scripture, from Isaiah 61, good news to the poor. Jesus will later call these the poor in spirit. Their need for salvation will be the ones who will receive this good news. The proclamation of the liberty to captives, those who are in bondage to sin, they are the ones who will mourn in the Beatitudes. They are like Israel, crying out to God for their deliverance, when they were slaves in Egypt. The recovery of the sight to the blind. Those who are in darkness now see a light shining. They recognize they are in the domain of darkness and there is a light that will shine for them. And those who are oppressed are liberated. The year of the Lord's favor is the year of jubilee, pointing to the restored kingdom, a restoration of that which has been broken, a freedom of all the captives, all the people, in which who will call upon the name of the Lord that will be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus is now preaching 
the good news that the Lord himself has come. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. The scriptures are about him and he teaches this with authority because authority has been given to him. His understanding of scripture is like unlike the scribes. Why? Because they teach what someone else has said about the scriptures. And he teaches if it's the word of God coming from his mouth. And after the resurrection, he teaches the disciples what he teaches in the synagogue, that the scriptures are about him. Luke 24, 44 says this, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is preaching this message that he has been preaching in Capernaum. And as soon as he begins preaching, Mark uses his word that he loves to use, immediately something happens. Let's read it together. A man cries out in verse 23 and immediately there was in, his, in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convul convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. This is our second point this morning, and it's thus. The king establishes authority over his enemies. And you can even add through the proclamation of his word if you want. The king establishes his authority over his enemies. And how does he do it? Through the proclamation of the gospel. That the kingdom of God is here. That those who remain under the rule and reign of Satan in the bondage of sin will be transferred to the kingdom of light if they call on the name of the Lord. The man here in this passage is demon-possessed. It describes a man with an unclean spirit. It's interesting. It's not some concoction of phraseology but the preaching of the truth about the kingdom of God that causes the demon to speak up. Now, who is this demon? He's a rebellious angel who was cast down with Satan. A third of the angels fell from heaven and now has taken over this man to the point where the demon is now in control. The man is not. And the demon cries out in a panic in verse 24. What have you done what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. He is in panic. He is trembling at the proclamation of the gospel. 
You see, the demon knows exactly who Jesus is. James tells us the demons know Christ. In James 2.19, it says this, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I like the King James Version a little bit better there. They tremble. The demons know who Jesus is, and they tremble. He doesn't have to speak up, but he does. Why? Because the gospel is being proclaimed. You see, the enemy, Satan, and his forces tremble at the gospel proclamation of the word of God. You want to push back darkness? You want to see people delivered from the domain of darkness? You preach the gospel according to the word of God. You proclaim the good news that Christ has come to set the captives free. He has come to deliver people from their sin and he has brought about forgiveness. Christ said to Paul, I am sending you. Paul says as he recounts the message and, and through his testimony in Acts 26, 18, that he comes to do what? To, to open their eyes. Christ said, Paul, I'm sending you to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He, he said to Paul, I have sent you for this purpose, to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Listen, if we think that we are some surface level Bible-believing church, we are not. We are committed to do the work of God through his word. And we as a church will not stop doing that no matter what the enemy throws in our direction. You see, it's the, it's the teaching of the gospel that one escapes the snare of the devil. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let me repeat that. They may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You see, Ephesians 2 tells it like this. We were all followers of Satan. We were sons of disobedience. You see, anything that we say, think, do, or don't do that is against God or doesn't show the beauty of who God is in his nature and character is sin. It's missing the mark. It's falling short of the glory of God. And as sin grows and develops in the hearts of man, it gives birth to actions. And these actions produce what? Bad fruit in the lives of people. And rotten, horrible events in our life that are against God, against his goodness, against his grace, his justice, his nature. And the question that arises, right, is can Christ free people that are in bondage to sin 
can Christ free people who are in bondage to their sin? And and Christ says, yes. I have the authority that has been given by God to do just that. It's one thing for Christ himself to overcome Satan and his temptations, but can he free other people who are chained in darkness to be overcome, to overcome the temptations? The answer is yes. There's power that Christ sets the captives free. Look at verse 25 and 26 again. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And the king has come back to take his people back who are created in the image of God. He has come back to take even you back from the domain of darkness. He has come to set you free from the power of sin in your life. Titus 2.11, this is one of my favorite verses. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You were created to reflect the image of God, and that's what Jesus came to save you to do. To take you away from the domain of darkness, take you away from sin, and now reflect the glory of God. The grace of God is teaching you now to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in the present age. To redeem you from all lawlessness and to purify you for a people for his own possession. You see, he presents the bride of Christ as holy and pure and lovely. And that's what he saves you to be. Do we mess up? Of course. That's why Christ died for our sins. But it doesn't mean that we do not mourn over our sin. It doesn't mean that we as Christians do not repent and turn away from that sin that so easily entangles us. Because we are the people of God. We have been saved by the grace of God. To live a life in reflection of his goodness and his grace by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So today, today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord. Whether you're just dabbling in sin or you are full-fledged knee-deep in sin. You call upon the name of the Lord to repent, to turn from your own ways, to trust in the way of Christ. Why? Because he can save you. He can deliver you. You mourn over your sin. And you allow the healing power of Christ to transform your heart. It's interesting, Luke 4. It says, after this section... 
it says this. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Tried to go off script. Didn't work. But, <laughs> praise God that he humbles me, right, when I'm preaching the word of God. Because the living and holy God is the one that saves you. He convicts you, not me. And his word is the one that transforms your life, not me. Now, let's look at the response of what, what the people say here. They are amazed. Verse 27, it says this. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. But in their amazement, guys, they don't submit their life to Jesus. This town of Capernaum who has seen and heard the message and seen Christ, the power to deliver. We'll see next week, David will preach on the healing that are performed, the miraculous things that prove that Jesus is the Christ. And they see, but they don't respond with their hearts. They ultimately will not follow Christ. Later, Jesus will say to Capernaum in Matthew eleven twenty three, and you, Capernaum, speaking of the city in which he's teaching, he's healing people who are demon-possessed, he's, he's healing people of their diseases. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, and the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You know, it's one thing to be amazed at God. It's another thing to submit your life to him, to humble yourself and say, I need the Lord. I'm willing to repent and believe upon Christ for my salvation. And that's where we get our third point this morning. These people, they do not respond to the call of the Lord in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is a hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. They do not respond. They respond with an amazement. Who has this kind of authority? They know that Jesus has authority just like the demons know that he's the Holy One of God. But they do not respond with repentance and faith in Christ. And as a result, the judgment of God will come upon this city. Repent and believe in Christ. That's our third point this morning. Christ has come. The call is to make Christ your life. It's not to say that you just say that you believe. It's not to dabble in religion in the church. It's a call to recognize that Christ is the only answer. Not an answer, but the answer. 
Not something I'm willing to try out for just a while. But you're willing to give your life for. You see, Christ came the first time to forgive sins as the suffering servant who died upon the cross for the salvation of sinners. But he will come to the earth again. And this next time that he comes, he will rid the earth of all sickness, all disease, and all the unclean spirits that wander upon the earth. The demonic forces, they will be cast into the lake of fire at the judgment. And this call that Christ gives here at the beginning of his ministry to repent and believe in the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand is to join Christ. Unite yourself to the Lord to say, I have faith and trust that he not only has paid for my sins, but now I want to walk with him in my life. So the call is very simple this morning. The call is this. If you are someone who has not given their life to Christ, has not repented of their sin and turned to the Lord, the call is to do that. To say, call upon the name of the Lord. To say, I need the Lord for salvation. I need Jesus' salvation. I want to be in the kingdom of light. I am in the kingdom of darkness. The call is also if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're dabbling in sin to confess your sins. As he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Christ died for your past, your present, and your future sins. And he wants you to confess and, and turn back to him. But you do not want to remain a slave of darkness. In bondage to sin and brokenness, that is not the place that you want to be. It's a slippery slope. We've seen it many times. So that is the call this morning. I'm going to invite the, the, the worship team up, and they're going to play. What is important is your heart and your mind, not what people think about you, not what you do in these next few moments, but what is important is that you have gone to the Lord and said, I need the Lord. I need his salvation. Our pastors are up front. They would like to pray for you. They would like to pray with you, and if you need deliverance from any area of your life, we can ask the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us. We will do that. So we're going to pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we respond to the word of God this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Christ has delivered us from our sin and death. And Father, we thank you that you are calling people to yourself to repent and believe in the gospel. The good news that the kingdom of God has come and the salvation of mankind is here. 
Father, we pray that people would place their full faith and trust in Christ right now. That they would not wait, that they would not wonder, that they would have the assurance of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is a God who receives the brokenhearted. He receives the oppressed. And he wants to grant them freedom. Father, we pray right now, we know right now, that in this room there are many who are in bondage and sin in their life. We pray that they would have the boldness and courage to move forward, to ask for prayer. And that you would do a work in this room right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand and would you come forward? The pastors are ready to receive you.